This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. there and hello and welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com my name is tyler ron sam dykstra in new york city i don't know when people are going to be listening so i thought good day was all encompassing that is good i mean it's always a good time to say good day good day you good day you, you spent some time in australia i did i did it's a you know yeah it's a catch-all of a greeting it works right. you know um, and especially if you're listening to this when the sun is up, then you're then you're pretty well covered. <laughs> if it's like 8 p.m., then it's like, what is this guy doing? Somebody's listening, like their whole routine is listening to us before they go to bed. Right, on, right. On exactly. Thursday or Friday night. We and put them to sleep. Like, oh man. <laughs> I gotta like get up and do things. Yeah. My routine yeah. is all thrown off now. The way it the way it normally works when people take their cues from uh from podcasts. So we got a lot to get to this week on the official podcast of Minor League Baseball as we welcome you in. I am Tyler, he is Sam, as noted. Uh there's so much going on in the baseball world, despite the fact that the season is behind us and we have so much to cover. But before we do, uh thanks for finding us wherever you did. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify and elsewhere. And uh, get in touch with the show if you would like. Podcast at MILB.com as we near some important milestones of the offseason headed toward what we hope is some normalcy in 2021. And so much to get to this week. And we will start with, you're hearing this on uh, Friday, November 20th, if you uh, are listening to us on the day this podcast is out. And this is a big day on the baseball transactional calendar in 2020 because 40-man roster decisions must be made today. Prospects who would be eligible for the rule of five drafts have to be added to their major league clubs 40-man rosters today ahead of the December 10th Rule 5 draft. And uh, Sam had a really good tool shed in which he looked at some of the uh, biggest names among prospects who could be eligible for the Rule 5 draft if they are not added to 40-man rosters. I know we've already had some top prospects who have been added to those 40-man squads. But Sam, give us the lowdown on what's going on uh, ahead of this Friday deadline. Yeah, this this Friday deadline is going to be one of the most interesting that has happened in my tenure. Uh, here at MILB.com for somewhat obvious reasons, right? Like there was no minor league season this year. We didn't get to see guys who were rule five eligible this year really prove themselves on the field. Yes. Some of them were at alt sites, even more of them were uh, playing an instructional league this fall, but in terms of, Hey, you started out at class a advanced, you moved up to double a, you moved up to triple a from there. Uh, You really showed us something. Here's a 40 man spot that didn't happen this year. Um, and even as we've discussed so much on the show and discussed with others, you know, the guests we brought on the, the players who played at these alternate sites or at instructs, a lot of it was against people within the, their own organization. Sometimes you have coaches playing the outfield spots, like it's based off data. You're not getting as many at bats or as many innings as you would. Otherwise, uh, it's difficult to make a judgment. Now, nobody knows these players better than their own organizations. 
for the most part, uh, there were sometimes trades that happened in the middle of the season, thinking of somebody like Taylor Trammell coming over from the Padres to the Mariners. Mariners got to know him a little bit at the outside, a little bit at Instructs this year. They knew who they were getting anyways. He's a top 100 prospect. He's going to be protected. Um, but a lot of what these teams are going to be doing is relying on what guys showed in 2019 and in the little morsels that they could in 2020. Uh, so how these decisions are made is going to be fascinating. Who gets left behind, who gets left vulnerable is going to be really interesting. And I'll also throw out the rule five draft. When we get to that in December is also going to be fascinating to watch. You know, first we got to clear this hurdle, but part of me says, and I know there's been some people out there who believe that it could be an active Rule 5 draft this year because uh, teams' finances are severely limited. Acquiring a player in the Rule 5 draft is extraordinarily cheap. Uh, they're going to be paid a rookie salary. If you can fill a hole on a rookie, rookie salary, that's going to be much better than going out and signing a free agent. That said, the other side of the coin is you are drafting somebody who your scouts in all likelihood have not seen in 2020. You're, you're basing that off 2019 data. So these 40 man decisions are going to be a lot easier to make than rule five. We could see a very inactive rule five draft, or we could go the other way and see a very active one. I would lean towards inactive. I would be very surprised if we see a lot of guys pick this year, just because you don't even want to take the risk of trying to carry a guy on the major league roster for an entire season. If you have limited info on that player, um, but we'll cross you know, that when we get to it first, this 40 man decision, um, there are seven prospects in the top 100 who need protection. All of them are going to be protected. They are Forrest Whitley, Matt Manning, Nolan Jones, Taylor Trammell, who I already mentioned, Brandon Marsh, Geraldo Perdomo, and Jordan Balazovic. Uh, all seven are going to be protected there. There are some other interesting decisions that are going to have to be made. And all of this comes down to how much room on the 40 man do you have and how much room are you willing to create? You know, some of these teams, I think the Tampa Bay Rays, for example, we talk about them having such a deep system and such a deep, even major league team. As it stands right now, the Rays have 39 guys on their 40 man. They really would love to add Josh Lowe, their number top or their number 10 prospect would be a top five prospect in a lot of other systems. Uh, so they can do that. But if they want to add anybody else, they're going to have to create room. Uh, so we, maybe we could see some trades on Friday. Um, maybe we could see some guys getting DFA. They're going to wait until the last minute. Uh, teams are going to have to get creative if they want all these prospects to get on there. Um, but some of this, you know, some of these decisions are no brainers. As Tyler mentioned, we already saw the Cardinals add their number four prospect, Yvonne Herrera, a catching prospect, somebody who has above average potential both at and behind the plate. Uh, you don't want to leave him vulnerable. Some of these, uh, decisions that are like right on the line that are, you know, could go either way. It'll be fascinating to see how teams decide that. And what I'm going to be looking for is if we see a lot of these toss up prospects get left off, I think that's going to tell us that we're in for an inactive rule five draft um, because a lot of teams are going to be betting, Hey, we wanted to add this guy. We don't want him taken in the rule five draft, but we're willing to take that risk because we know none of you have seen him. Uh, and that's kind of the case to, to tie this in with an interview we're having later. Chris Rodriguez in the Los Angeles Angels organization. He's their number two pitching prospect. He's their number six prospect in the entire system. He should be protected. Like you don't want to lose uh, a pitching prospect as good as him, especially at a time right now when the Angels 
their biggest bugaboo in the last few years has been pitching. They find it really difficult to develop starting pitchers and get them to stick. Chris Rodriguez could be that guy. You don't want to lose him. That being said, he's been extremely limited in ways we'll talk to him about with back injuries and surgeries. And, uh, you know, he's only thrown, I think, nine in the third innings since 2018. Yes, he threw a lot at Instructs this year. Yes, he threw a lot at the alt site. Um, but teams haven't seen him. So if you're willing to take a risk on a guy who's only thrown nine and a third innings since 2018 and those nine and third innings came at Class A advanced, maybe the Angels are willing to risk it. I would hope not. Rodriguez, it sound in our conversation with him, sounds like he put in a lot of work. It sounds like the stuff is back and at a, a good spot. He, he mentioned throwing in the high 90s. That's encouraging. Uh, but keep an eye out for that. If your favorite organization has some prospects who are kind of on the line and they choose not to protect them, probably means we're in for an inactive Rule 5 draft. If they do protect them, okay, the Rule 5 draft is going to be a little bit more interesting then. And, and that's what I hope. I want these guys getting one step closer to the majors. That's what the 40-man roster is there for. It's a big moment in their careers, uh, and I would love to see them rewarded in that way. So keep an eye out on the transaction wire. We'll have a story running all day Friday, uh, updating with who gets added and who's been protected. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll see where, where things go after that. Yeah, a lot of stuff to keep an eye on in a very active uh, day, at least, on the uh, Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball calendar. And uh, that brings us to uh, topic number two, which is also uh, an, another Major League, Minor League. Uh, I can't even say it's really like a moment in time because it's been stretching out now over the last couple of weeks in which we are starting to get some more information on what the minor league picture is going to look like in 2021. Just today, we're recording this on Thursday the 19th, the Rochester Red Wings, formerly the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins, now announcing themselves as the new AAA affiliate of the Washington Nationals. So geographically, a lot easier maneuver there for Washington, which had been all the way on the West Coast in Fresno. Um, we're also seeing reports that the possibly formerly independent Sugarland Skeeters uh, will be uh, a new affiliate of the Houston Astros. Um, we already know that one formerly independent team is being incorporated into the affiliated minor league structure with the Somerset Patriots joining the New York Yankees organization. Uh, it For a while, it seemed like we were probably going to get some sort of just uh, individual announcement as to what all of the, the minor leagues would look like going forward, but now it's starting to look like maybe this is just the way that things are going to play out where we'll start hearing about these affiliations as they happen. Uh, but obviously very good news for Rochester, and uh, that's a community that's had baseball dating back, you know, in an affiliated sense for over a century, um, and that's something that will continue now, and it uh, presents a much easier structure for their new major league affiliate. Yeah, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, the way this is coming out is – it, it feels like it's in individual cases at this point. It's it's like who's involved in the decision-making and all that. Uh, part of the reason why the Nats came out is a Chuck Schumer, the senator from New York uh, and, you know, senator, uh, the minority leader in the Senate, just coming out and announcing, like, we've come to an agreement to keep minor league baseball in Rochester, and then things kind of stonewall from – or uh, things kind of build up from there. Uh, so that's one reason why we know Rochester ahead of – hopefully a league-wide announcement in which everything else gets confirmed. Um, Sugarland, you know, coming from independent ball, joining the Houston system, that has not been officially confirmed in the way that Rochester has. Rochester has put out a story, you know, saying we're now a Nationals affiliate. Um, that one's definitely on the cards. Sugarland, it's, it's widely been reported, including by MLB.com. So um, definitely expect that. Uh, but what is the key theme here from these two ones that we have heard in the past week? Uh, it's that now affiliates are 
really getting closer to the major league club in a way that part of this whole redesign and this reorganization has been to limit travel, make sure minor leaders aren't getting stuck uh, on buses and planes for a long time um, and spending a lot of their time, you know, traveling. Now you go just to look at Rochester, the Nats, they had a real problem having their AAA affiliate in Fresno. Fresno is about 2,800 miles away from Washington, D.C. It got to the point where if they thought a guy was major league ready, they might put him at AA Harrisburg just because it would be an easier call up at that point. Um, Rochester is now 400 miles away. So we're not going to see that same issue uh, with the with the Nats in their system. Hopefully guys are able to move up to AAA and show that they're major league ready there and can get called up so much more quickly. Uh, Sugarland just outside Houston, that's going to be a simple call up um, when that time comes. So again, it, we still expect the majority of these major league minor league partnerships to be announced at the same time. And hopefully that's coming in, in a few weeks, uh, if not sooner. Um, but individual cases, sometimes things are going to get confirmed in drips and drabs and we'll bring them to you as we hear them. And finally, uh, some very cool news from the world of major league baseball last week. We're obviously kind of late, uh, in the cycle for this because this news broke just after we recorded last week. But Kim Ang is the new general manager of the Miami Marlins, becomes the first woman to be GM of any of the four major men's professional sports leagues in the United States. Uh, also baseball's first Asian-American general manager and someone who has more than paid her dues in this game. Started in baseball as an intern. She's worked uh, in baseball operations for the majority of her career and has been a candidate for some GM jobs in recent years, but finally lands this Marlins gig at a very exciting time to be in that organization. They've got a loaded system, obviously a, a postseason appearance this year. Um, this is a fun time to be a Marlins fan and uh, an even more exciting time now, given this hire. Yeah. And uh, just to point out that I think Farhan Zaidi is also of Asian descent. So now we have two, which is great for representation of MLB or MLB front offices. Um, but th yeah, this is such an awesome hire uh, by the Marlins. Uh, Kim Ang has really put in her time. She started out with the White Sox. She's worked her way through the Yankees organization with the Dodgers. Then she came up through MLB. Um, and, you know, this is huge just to have that glass ceiling broken. Um, a lot of people have talked about that during the week. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to draw too much attention to that other than just note that that happened and how big that is and how much that means for a lot of people in baseball. Um, just to see somebody like Kim Ang in that role. Um, but, you know, to, to have her take over that role is also a very interesting time in the Marlins system. Looking at where they stand right now, they were a surprise team in 2020. Yes, they got to the postseason because the playoffs were expanded in this weird year. Um, but it, they're clearly an organization about to take off. Their farm system is one of the best in baseball. We saw a lot of those guys contribute to the major league team. In 2020, Sixto Sanchez being chief among them, but Chaz Chisholm got looks, Jesus Sanchez got looks. Uh, a lot of their big names are about to arrive. J.J. Bladé, who we talked to this summer, isn't that far away, even though he didn't get to play minor league baseball this year. A lot of people thought he was very advanced coming out of Vanderbilt. They took another college pitcher uh, in Max Meyer. A lot of people think he could move quickly as well. The Marlins are going to be contending very quickly. So for her to take over this job right now, is interesting because now she's going to be able to mold the team, the next big contender in Miami in a way that she wants. And she has experience, you know, working with the Yankees organization. 
um, and a lot, a lot of Marlins front office right now came from the Yankees. Gary Denbo uh, used to be director of player development for the Yankees. Now he's running both scouting and player development with the Marlins. Obviously, we know Derek Jeter is heading the Marlins right now. Um, there was a picture going around of him with Kim Ang during her Yankees time. Um, so there is some trust there already. There's probably some knowledge in the, the way they're trying to work that system. Um, but I, I'm really excited to see what she can do in this role. This is not just a hire to, to get a woman in that chair. That's Kim Ang has put in the time. And a lot of people have said she might be the most overqualified candidate to ever get a GM job. Uh, you're really going to see what she takes with this job and, and runs with it and goes from here. Uh, because the Marlins are coming and they're going to really be challenging the Braves uh, who have dominated that division for the last couple of years. The Phillies have tried to spend and, and tried to get to that next level. We'll see if they can do it. The Mets have a new owner uh, now and they're, they're going to try to be breaking through. And, and the Nets won a World Series in 2019 and are still hoping to contend. So that division is going to be a lot of fun. Really excited to see what Kim Ann can do uh, in that new role with the Marlins. So with that, we'll wrap up our opening segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. But Sam noted, uh, we got a fun conversation coming up. Chris Rodriguez, who is the sixth ranked prospect in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim organization, joins the show to talk about the looming rule five draft and possible 40 man roster selection, his recovery from a a crazy kind of back injury and uh, all that and more coming up next. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Well, it's been a big week in the Angels organization, and that is where we head on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball, as the sixth-ranked prospect from the Angels system, right-handed pitcher Chris Rodriguez joins the show uh, from Miami, the uh, the hometown of the uh, righty who um, hopefully will be getting to see you back on the mound here in the next uh, you know six months or so when the world maybe returns to normal. But Chris, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely, man. It's great to talk to you. It's been uh, obviously the weirdest year that that any of us have ever known uh, in 2020, but there are a lot of things that can be good things that can be taken out of this year, and we're going to get to all of that. But um, first things first, what what has this year been like for you? We've talked with so many guys about what it was like you know, being in camp when things got shut down back in March, and then obviously, uh, you know, trying to figure out what the major league season was going to look like and if we were going to have a minor league season and all that. But now that we are into what would even ordinarily be the off season, what have things been like for you? Are you getting work in? Are you on a mound? What What have the last, you know, eight months been like? Well, I was actually very fortunate um, enough to actually be able to go to the alternate site and kind of um, be able to get my innings in because these past two years have been kind of rough. 
Um, so it was really, really nice to be able to get back on the mound and kind of not just get back on the mound, but also be facing guys who are big league caliber players and kind of being able to pick up their brains and, you know, seeing like how my stuff plays against the way they hit. And, you know, so it was a big blessing being able to uh, play versus them and also being around the guys. But um, after the alternate site, I did go to instructional league as well to get more innings in. So I was able to get a good amount of innings in. I was able to talk to a lot of people and I, I was able to get my experience that I've kind of, I've lost in a, in a short period of time, which has been great. The the last couple of years for you have been, uh, I would imagine, pretty trying in in certain ways. Um, you missed 2018. You pitch uh, in 2019, pretty limited, nine and a third innings. And I know, uh, you know, for a lot of people, they'll look at that on a baseball reference page or an MILB.com page and think, oh, Tommy John surgery, something like that. But it wasn't for you. It was uh, an issue in your back, a stress reaction and a fracture. Um, for people who are unfamiliar with what that means, how did that come about for you and how did it sort of manifest itself? Like, how did you notice that something was wrong and what was that whole process like going through? Eventually you have surgery, but take us through kind of that whole track of your career. Um, yeah, I mean, in the beginning it was, it was tough. I was just, I was just, I was throwing one day and, um, kind of, I was feeling some little achiness in my back. So kind of, I kept continuing to throw I was lifting I was throwing I was trying to push it kind of being thinking that it was more of like a sore muscle type of thing and um ended up getting an MRI later that off season and it ended up actually being a stress uh reaction and at first initially nobody was really worried they're like you know what just we're gonna wait a few weeks we're gonna give the bone time to heal up and hope hopefully uh come together and kind of uh and kind of repair itself and so I did that and then so we did that rehab and that was through spring training and as I started throwing again it kind of came back up um and got another MRI and basically what had happened was my L5 vertebrae actually uh was fully fractured so it took that whole year to get the left side to heal up and then as I started throwing later that year in 2018, um, the right side started coming up and it turned out that the right side, uh, was actually fractured as well. Man. So, so yeah, it was, it was a tough little roller coaster there. Um, but I was able to kind of push through spring training that year and also, um, you know, get those nine innings in. Like, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, nine innings isn't a lot. But, you know, I was able to throw those nine innings with uh, basically a broken back. And let me tell you, it was – I couldn't – I was sleeping on the floor just to see if that would help my back. You know, I couldn't sit down during my outings. Like, I was really pushing through it. Um, but uh, it was probably best to just – finally get another MRI and, you know, gave the doctors clearance, um, to get the surgery. And so I did, and, you know, I couldn't be happier with the way Dr. Watkins approached the surgery and also did the surgery. So, um, and yeah, now here I am and ready to go and fully feeling uh, fully healthy. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad the way, the way this started by you saying you were at the alt site this year and at instruct. So everybody at home knows that it ended on a right. No, but at what point did you feel back fully back? 
like ready to go? Was it this spring? Was it even last offseason? Like at what point did you think 2020 was a year that you could really get back on a mound and give it 100% again? Um, it was honestly spring training of 2020. I, I was just throwing and it felt like it felt normal. I felt stronger. I felt like I did the right thing to prepare in that 2019 off season, uh, for that 2020 of spring training. And also what really helped was the angels medical staff at the time. And also the strength, uh, strength training, uh, staff as well. We kind of built this program and it, it really helped. And I came back that 2020 spring training, you know, feeling good, throwing as hard as ever, and also really having a good feel for my stuff, which I was really proud of considering I was, I took uh, a year off basically of throwing. Um, but yeah, I'll say 2020 uh, spring training, the beginning of it, at least like very the few days we really had a spring training. That's when I uh, started feeling really good and like myself. Yeah, and I've, so many of the questions we've asked guys over the last couple of months is like, what did you do to stay in shape during the months of April, May, June, what have you? Um, but for you, that's uh, I would I would imagine was even more important because just ramping up to get to where you were in March when things shut down was such a a big hurdle for you. So, what was it like going through that period of ramping up, getting ready, really showing to both yourself and the Angels you were ready to go, and then having to have all of that put on pause? Um, I mean, at first it hit hard because I was like, you know what, this really sucks. I took two years off and now a virus hits and now I'm not going to even be able to throw another year. So at first it was very frustrating. Um, but you know what, I, I kind of just, I kept my head up. I was like, you know what, now it's just time to take advantage of this quarantine and really, uh, work on my stuff. And, you know, things were closed down here, you know, everybody had to wear masks, nothing was open. So kind of. Uh, me and my brother, we took initiative and we kind of built this garage gym um, at my house and kind of invested in my career. Uh, and so that's where I was working out at in a, a garage gym. And I was able to throw with uh, a couple guys, um, a couple college guys, and also uh, a few pro guys as well. And, you know, picking their brains and seeing how they really go at things. And, you know, we I had a great system i had a great group around me um during that quarantine time so that really helped me prepare uh for that alternate site uh yeah yeah and, and you mentioned before you know again pitching at the alternate site pitching at instructs you were able to make up a lot of innings how many innings would you estimate or do you know really off the top of your head how many innings were you able to get in once you were fully healthy and pitching at long beach and down in arizona um don't know the exact number, but I would say around 65 to 70 innings, which, I mean, it's not a full season, but at the same time, it's a lot more that I've, than I've had in a while. Chris, on a, a day-to-day basis, um, when you get a chance to go and be around the guys and all that, it's not obviously normal or what you were expecting in 2020, but I would imagine just the the ability to be around the guys, you know, and to get out on a mound and all that, what did it do for you mentally um, to have that experience, even though it's not at a minor league ballpark in a, a regular schedule and all of that, I would think it probably still felt pretty amazing just to have a little bit of baseball back, especially after everything you've been through the, the previous couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely comforting. You know, I was, I was around the guys again and um, not just around the guys, but I was also playing again and kind of, it was 
that atmosphere I've been looking for and that I was sitting out on for those past two years. And it was, like I said, it was truly a blessing. And, you know, it couldn't have been better that the alternate side, we were mixed in with uh, a lot of the big leaguers. So, you know, I got to, got to meet uh, pitchers like, like Griffin Canning, who I've met in the minor leagues, but also like Heaney and Bundy and all these guys who, you know, you know, us minor leaguers, we look up to those big leaguers and, you know, obviously we want to be in their position. And, you know, also when a coach that had the Angels infield and outfield of Mike Trout, Albert Pools, Anthony Rendon, that that was truly amazing. So that type of atmosphere kind of, it kind of made me feel like I was in the right place. And, you know, it kind of motivated me that much more to really, um, to really work on my stuff and really pursue this goal of getting to the big leagues and not just getting to the big leagues, but also winning in the big leagues and hopefully uh, winning a World Series with the Angels. You mentioned some of those names. Who were some of the guys that you were really excited that you got a chance to see at the alternate side or, you know, somebody that you may have thrown to that you weren't counting on coming into, uh, you know, into 2020 back when the world was somewhat normal? Like, what was it um, that stood out most to you about some of the matchups that you got at the alternate side? Um, you know, the matchups, the, it's funny, the matchups, it was kind of, it was really funny because we, in the beginning, I got to face Tommy LaStella and, uh, Andreelton, uh, Simmons, and that was really cool for me. Um, but we also, I, most of the time I was facing guys like, um, Jose Rojas, uh, Jer- uh, Jeremiah Jones, um, Joe Adele. And, you know, facing those guys, and we were just facing them once. We were facing them multiple times every single day. So kind of what that did for me was kind of we had to find a way to get those guys out. And those guys are very good hitters, and they're able to adjust very quickly. So we had to adjust just as fast. Um, so that was awesome. And then kind of having Mike Trout in the center field, and the first game I pitched, he was able to uh, play center field behind me. And, you know, he came up to me you know, talking to me and saying, you know what, that he liked this a part of my game. And that to me was, it was awesome. And it was incredible. And also uh, Mike Stassi as well was catching me at the time. And he was really, really good at kind of telling me what he likes and what he, you know, sees me pitching it at and um, kind of giving me, giving me the knowledge that um, a lot of these big league pitchers have. So that was awesome as well. Yeah. And, and, I'm obviously going to ask about that trout interaction now that you bring that up, but what specifically stood out to you about that conversation? Like, what did he say about you that he liked? Uh, I would imagine for a young pitcher as you're such as yourself hearing from that is huge, especially at this point in your career. So what stood out to you and what do you carry with you from that conversation with trout? Yeah. I mean, for one, we were six feet apart and we had to keep our social distancing. Um, But you know, it was, first off I got to the field and the first thing he said is how's it going my name is Mike Trout and you know that to me stood out a lot because um kind of he came up to me and he was like you know he initiated the combo and you know that was awesome and I truly appreciated that but on top of that I was facing a hitter I don't know exactly what hitter was but I threw two curveballs you know one was like a loopy curveball and the other one was more of a tighter curveball and he came up to me that next inning and said hey listen that's that's great that you did that and kind of gave me his advice on it. And, you know, obviously if, if Mike Trout comes up to you and gives you advice, you're listening 
as best as you can and you're you're gonna take that advice and you're gonna bring it to your the next outing for sure so that was awesome and and you mentioned your stuff there um you know being able to throw 65 innings this this year it's great to get into that routine but you also hope to grow in terms of your arsenal uh you know in terms of where your pitches are now to where they were when you were beginning to throw in the spring what do you feel like you developed the most over the last couple of months um i would say i it's tough it, it really is because i'm throwing, i'm able to throw more two seamers now um if I'm going to go kind of left to right, well, if I go up in the zone, I'm gonna, I'm able to throw a four-seamer, which before I didn't really do that. Um, and on top of that, I have two distinct uh, breaking balls from my slider and my curveball, which before it was more – I had a slider and then my curveball was more of a slurp. But um, kind of this whole process, I was able to kind of make it – my curveball a little more up to down and my slider left to right and also the – the speeds of them are a lot different, which, you know, that is a great thing to have in my arsenal. So, um, and on top of everything else, my changeup was able to, uh, to stay true and kind of, I was able to become more consistent with my changeup. And, and just in terms of your velo, cause I'm sure that's something a lot of angels fans are, are looking to hear from you. You used to be able to throw in the upper nineties. Where were you this summer? Do you feel like, um, I was in the upper nineties. I was, uh, I was five. I was like five to seven. Um, was able was able to touch eight a couple times on my first outing in alternate site. I believe I was up to ninety nine, which was awesome and kind of really reassuring. And kind of coming back from the back surgery and stuff like that, and being able to do that was really nice. And also the adrenaline was pumping a lot. So that's where I would say I was around most of the time was the ninety five, ninety five, ninety seven, and then kind of. Uh, when in the later innings kind of stayed there with a couple 93s with uh I mean with a couple 94s with a two seamer Chris from the the standpoint of now being into what would ordinarily be the off season what is your work like right now? I mean, like you said, your your workload's a little bit lighter during the alternate training side compared to what a full season's worth of innings uh, would have given you. But right now, um, you know, this would be a time where ordinarily you get to rest and work out and do all that kind of stuff. But knowing that, hopefully, you know, three, four months from now, we'll be getting set to to do a, a real season. What are you doing these days to keep yourself uh, sort of in game shape, but I guess kind of in that off-season mode as well? Um. Well, the the throwing program is going to be a little less. You know, we're gonna we're gonna kind of slow down just a bit, but we're gonna continue throwing. And um, when it comes to the lifting, you know, we're just gonna attack. We're gonna attack. You know, the smaller muscle groups and kind of just make sure um, I'm lifting to stay healthy, not so much kind of getting as big as I can, but mostly getting my core strong and kind of make sure my back can maintain the workload throughout a whole season. Which you know. Um, I've been doing for the 2020 season. So we're going to carry that into this off season and the throwing programs, just basically making sure that, you know, my arm stays active and ready to go for whenever we start up again. What's been the best thing about the non-baseball stuff? I mean, getting a chance to be home a little bit more and all that uh, at the beginning of all of this was probably more stressful than it was exciting, but is there anything that, you know, getting a chance to be around friends you wouldn't ordinarily have been around in April and May or whatever it is, what stood out that were, were kind of positives from the, the last eight months? Um, 
I mean, I was able to, you know, get back with my friends and kind of like usually when I come back for the off season, it's always my friends are in school and kind of I'm not able to talk to them. My family's always busy. Um, but you know what? During quarantine, I was able to really, really um, kind of be able to talk to my family, hang out with my brother a lot. You know, my sister had a baby um, and kind of being able to hang out with my girlfriend and all that stuff that kind of plays a huge part, not just, uh, I mean, mentally it does a huge part, especially going through a whole season, kind of, you kind of miss your family every now and then. And, you know, being able to see them when you should be during season, I mean, to me was a huge, a huge step up for my mental game and you're really happy. And uh, Chris, we'll, we'll end on a few more, but um, one of the things about this year for you is that this is your Rule 5 eligibility year. This is a year in which you could have proven yourself, uh, you know, it, it, potentially a Class A, Class A advanced, uh, potentially even Double A, that, uh, you know, you were worthy of being protected from the Rule 5 draft. That's still coming up. That deadline's coming up here on Friday for everybody. Um, how much was that on your mind as you went through the summer? And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts about that going into Friday, about being potentially added to the 40-man roster? Do you feel like you showed enough both at the alt-site and instructs? I mean, God willing, I did. But at the end of the day, that's Angel's decision. You know, I just kind of keep doing what I do, and I keep, work hard, I keep working hard. And whatever decision they make, you know, it is what it is. And kind of – I just kind of – I just want to worry about my offseason and worry about getting stronger and staying healthy. And God willing, uh, I get protected. But I guess we'll see on Friday, right? Yeah, no, fair enough. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> given going back to, to what I was just saying about, like, what this year could have been for you, it could have been a chance to climb the ladder. But still, being at Long Beach, you're one step away. We talked to guys all over this year being like, how close did you feel when you were at the alt site? Sometimes – you know, you would think guys wouldn't get called up, and then somebody like Ryan Weathers gets called up when he hadn't even seen Double uh, A yet. Did you ever feel close to the majors, even coming off the injury, even just trying to build up your innings? Like, was there any moment where you thought, "Hey, I really am just one call up away uh, from the show at this point"? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, it felt it felt really close, and it felt really close for everybody. You know, kind of, you know, we knew that the situation we were in was different. Um, we knew that the opportunities were definitely there. Um, however, you know, at the end of the day, we wanted to win ball games, and you know, if if Billy, who our GM, who was our GM at the time, didn't think we were ready or didn't think we, uh, yeah, we were ready to kind of be there, then so be it. But you know. We didn't have a bad attitude about not getting called up or anything, but at the same time, it definitely felt really close. And, you know, we were all trying to show up at the alternate side and really uh, prove our point why we should be in the big leagues. And, and we'll end on this one. I know we're a few months out now, even from spring training, and who knows what that's going to look like. Uh, you know, God willing that everything's going to be safe by the spring and we're going to be in a place to have a somewhat normal spring training and somewhat normal start to the season. But when you look forward to 2021, knowing that can be your chance to really pitch every five days again, how are you going to, you know, how do you project forward for 2021? And, um, you know, what do you feel like is the, is a possible scenario for you next year? Um, I mean, the goal is always to 
be in the big leagues. So, I mean, I believe that in 2021, if I pitch the way I know I can pitch, I will be in the big leagues. Um, however, that's that's not in my control. You know, I, I like to think about controlling what I can control. And, you know, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to try to stay healthy and I'm going to do what I can do. And, you know, if it's enough to be in the big leagues, I'll be in the big leagues. And that's where I view myself as um, in 2021. But um, we'll see. Chris Rodriguez, a six-ranked prospect in the Angels organization, uh, getting set for big things probably coming in 2021, and hopefully uh, we'll all be back to a little bit uh, closer semblance of normalcy by that. And, Chris, enjoy the the holiday season, man, and uh, best of luck. We'll be following down the road. Thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. Benjamin Hill is back. This is my first time talking to you in like three weeks, Ben. How you been? I've been all right, Tyler. I've been thinking the same thing. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while, and uh, I miss your voice. Your uh, what, what's the 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 adjective we must use? Uh, mellifluous, mellifluous, uh, annoying. I think. Anno- oh, annoying. Sorry. Uh, great. <laughs> no- Abrasive. <laughs> I think that's normally it. Um, no 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 it is uh music to our ears <laughs> well it's good to talk to you um the uh middle of November ordinarily means rebrand season and the winter meetings are coming up and all these different things on the offseason calendar for minor league baseball. Obviously this year has been very, very different, but we still have a lot of stuff to get to uh, this week. We're going to start with a uh, piece that is up on the site. Well, by the time you are all hearing this, the alter ego competition, the alter ego challenge, which has been going on at MILB.com for the last couple of weeks, uh, voting on the best alter ego in minor league baseball reaches its conclusion on Friday. We're recording this on Thursday, so we may have some inside info, but I don't know if we're going to drop it to all of you. Um, We all got to choose kind of our favorites among the alternate uh, logos and identities and all that type of stuff, but there are so many good uh, possibilities. It was narrowed down to a final four of the Wisconsin Utter Tuggers, the alternate ego, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, uh, the Pensacola Mullets, also, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, their uh, their alter ego, the Clearwater Threshers, who have an alter ego of the Clearwater Beach Dogs, and of course, the Fresno Grizzlies, the Fresno Tacos. Tell us about uh, your thoughts on this this competition, and uh, it's obviously engendered a whole lot of conversation. Yeah, you know, it's a fun off season endeavor uh, on the lighter side, obviously. Um, of the four, there were twenty eight uh, teams originally in this contest, the Alter Ego Challenge, um, and uh, you can. From those 28 teams, uh, you know, it's been narrowed down to just a quartet of finalists, uh, the ones that you mentioned, Tyler. Uh, you know, I think they're all pretty strong alter egos. Uh, if I was voting, I, I re- you know, I abstained from the votes and tried to stay, you know, officially neutral. But uh, if I was voting, I think I'd personally go for Fresno Tacos as the best alter ego just because, you know, it began in 2015. It obviously has a very strong tie-in to Fresno, Fresno's taco culture, the Fresno Grizzlies taco truck throwdown, which is kind of basically what inspired it. It was the first uh, food alternate identity in minor league baseball, which is, if you listen to the show, you know, has become very commonplace in the last five years. So just looking at uh, the longevity and impact, you know, I'm a Fresno tacos guy, but I'm also a huge fan of the Wisconsin Utter Tuggers, uh, you know, normally the Timber Rattlers. They've been doing a Salute to Cows promo 
uh, and a tribute to Wisconsin's dairy industry every year since 2009. So in the same way, that one's deeply rooted, but they didn't begin the utter tugger identity, I believe until 2019. So that is new, but it's a great uh, way to expand upon the salute to cows theme night. And uh, that is a truly bizarre logo, you know, a car, a cow, a little, a cow, not a car. Those are two different things, but a cow on two legs with uh, its, uh, you know, char charging and its, uh, underbelly udders pink and protruding from this cow. Uh, so you don't see too many underbelly themed uh, logos and um, udders and things of that nature displayed prominently in logos. So I like that one a lot. Uh, Pensacola and Clearwater, uh, the um, Mullets and Beach Dogs respectively, those both have similar origins in that they were finalists in name the team contests, weren't picked, and then had a second life on what could have been nights. And uh, of course, I think we've probably said it before, but the Clearwater Beach Dogs, if you're a Simpsons fan, uh, that logo just reminds you of Poochie. So <laughs> much, so much so. Yeah, it's just hard to see that thing and not think of Poochie who died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the mullets, you know, Pensacola's really pushing that one right now. They did a what could have been mullets night in 2016, but now they're bringing it back for 2021. They're having a best mullet in the minor leagues contest which they got some truly spectacular um, submissions. But of course, with a mullet, there is, the, the meaning is twofold. You can have some fun with the, hair, the hairstyle, the uh, you know, party in the front, or no, business in the front, party in the back, uh, hairstyle, and also a mullet like a blue wahoo is a fish. So uh, they're having some fun with that one right now. So a good uh, quartet of finalists, as I said, uh, I would vote for uh, Fresno if I had a vote, but it's uh, been fun to just, uh, you know, have a reason to talk about these uh, alter egos, which, of course, through the years, we've had a lot of fun talking about. And of the 28 semifinalists, Ben, were there any surprises to you that didn't make the final four? You know, I'm sure there would be. I have to, like, look back and, and see. Uh, I'm going to click on that right now and uh, try to remember who really did not make it. Uh, that might have, but you know, whenever there's a fan vote thing, you don't know what team promotes it the most. You don't know what fans get on board the most. So it's always a little random. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good ones that didn't make it. If I had to say one that was like, oh, I'm surprised that one didn't advance. I think I'd go, well, maybe the Durham lollygaggers just because Durham's such an iconic brand and very recognizable. Although that uh, logo itself is not really super eye-catching. Uh, Rochester plates, you know, garbage plates, that's another big one, but they had to go up against uh, the tacos among other teams in the first round. So it was hard for garbage plates to overcome the tacos. Um, and at least one of the two pork roll, there were two pork roll identities in this, uh, uh, both Jersey teams and neither of them were able to, <clears throat> excuse me, able to advance either in Lakewood uh, or Trenton. So um, yeah, a lot of things just could go, could, could go either way, but looking at these 28 alter egos, it's uh, almost like hallucinogenic, you know, check out the article and, uh, Really, and each one has a story behind it. And that's what we love about minor league baseball. They're random and weird to an extent, but they also are well thought out and tell a story about the team and or the community. Some very good stuff. Uh, you can check out the final story at MILB.com right now. And uh, with that, we'll pivot to uh, a, a good thing that segues out of that conversation because there are some of those alter egos uh, in this story. Ben continuing his look back at some of the best promos of the decade of the 2010s. And it's kind of funny, this latest story, which is 2014, we were actually talking before we started recording. There are like five things in here that I'm like, that was six years ago. That feels like it was last summer. Uh, but probably most notably among those things, the El Paso Chihuahuas uh, had a bark in the park Jersey in 2014, which was just like, 
a very realistic face of a Chihuahua on the front of a jersey, which does not seem like it happened six years ago. But there's a lot of good stuff that went down in 2014. The uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, they busted out the uh, the bacon stuff really primarily for the first time in 2014. There's a lot of good things that were kicking around the minors six years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I kind of made the focus of the article, it was the year of the theme jersey. I get in the article into the reasons why with that, um, you know, with uh, new techniques, uh, or at least if not brand new techniques, uh, the sublimation uh, printing process for the theme jerseys, um, you know, teams really started to um, have more possibilities regarding what they could do. Uh, they weren't going from pre-selected templates. They could basically just, uh, you know, not do anything they wanted, but within the bounds of good tastes and, uh, you know, copyright law, you could do a lot more with theme jerseys and that really started to catch on uh, in 2014. So um, there's some crazy ones. I mean, looking back, I was like, oh man, I remember that one. The Inland Empire 66ers did zombie apocalypse night in 2014. Yeah. And these jerseys are just like, I mean, it's not real blood, but they are just blood splattered, like huge uh, just blood stains all over these theme jerseys. Entire tracks. Yeah, entire tracks. And just uh, really some of the most brutal uh, theme jerseys you'll ever see. But I, I loved that one. You know, they did it on Thirsty Thursday and tried to, you know, push the envelope a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'm not personally a huge Star Wars guy, but uh, I love the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones in 2014 when they became the Sith clones. And they did these truly kind of uh, disturbing and dark and weird um jerseys that uh, had uh was it darth, darth mall darth mall yes darth mall with brooklyn written in the sam help me out how you say this the Arabesh al- alphabet i think you got it yeah Arabesh. um so crazy stuff like that and you know i just go from there to all over the place because it's minor league baseball the promos are all over the place talk about how it's been six years um it doesn't maybe seem that long, but it's been six years since Weird Al released what is still his most recent album, Mandatory Fun, uh, and that debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. <clears throat> you know, huge accomplishment for Weird Al at that stage in his career. Um, so the weird, uh, the Altoona Curve became the Weird Altoona, Weird Al Tuna Curve, and did a uh, Al Yankovic theme night. And uh, you know, I had been pushing for that as a longtime Weird Al fan pretty much my entire career. So I was finally uh, able to see at least one Weird Al theme night go down. Uh, in 2014 and if you haven't listened to mandatory fun for a while check it out that's uh, still a great album uh, on the parody le- front uh, you know ward crimes is just one of the best of all time so go ahead and listen to that and uh, on and on and on and on and so on and so forth etc cetera, etc cetera. i think the last one i'd just like to mention is uh the akron rubber ducks they did the rock and bobblehead series over the course of the season four separate bobblehead giveaways uh all uh, in tribute and uh, commemorating an Akron rock and roll legend, you know, and some, man, some really great names came from that city. Devo, Joe Walsh, uh, better known for the Eagles, but I'm a James Gang guy. Uh, Chrissy Hind from the Pretenders, also incredible band, and the Black Keys. So to do those four rock and roll bobbleheads over the course of the season was a, <clears throat> a really great thing from the Akron Rubber Ducks. And as to why I'm losing my voice, I, I don't really know. But uh, here I am talking and I feel like my voice is going out. I don't know what's going on. So I'll turn it back to you. Well, I, I was just going to ask before we, we let you go, Ben, because this was also the year in which Lehigh Valley wore bacon themed uniforms. Wasn't there like a rivalry that started soon after this between Lehigh Valley and Fresno about, and we talked about the Fresno tacos before for alter egos, but it was like a bacon versus tacos rivalry that they tried to start there as well. Yeah. They had all sorts of, uh, 
kind of uh, uh, arguments with one another and, you know, kind of uh, tongue in cheek, but, you know, had all sorts of Fresno versus uh, Lehigh Valley bacon, <clears throat> bacon versus tacos stuff. A lot of the specifics I cannot remember, but it all stems from the fact that the first like food logo was in 2014 when the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs had the bacon uniforms. And then uh, the next year, Fresno took that concept of having a food logo uh, rebranding and then they one-upped it by actually changing the name to the food in question. So it was always kind of like, we did this first, but we did this first. But those two in tandem with one another, uh, you know, were hugely, influ <clears throat> hugely influential in terms of where we've seen minor league baseball go from there uh, between food uh, in the world of food brandings. Uh, Lehigh Valley and Fresno <clears throat> are the uh, OGs. It is some good stuff. It is up on the site right now at MILB.com. Benjamin Hill, you can find uh, on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And uh, go, rest the, go rest the pipes. Drink some green tea. Get some yeah, lemon and some honey. talk maybe. for a living. It's not like I talk that much working <laughs> at home alone in this bedroom. But here we are. Um, I can barely talk. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to get through this. It happens. Thanks, yeah. Ben. Hey, thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. Great talking to you guys. Wrapping up this week's episode of the show before the show, we will be back next week. We'll have a little Thanksgiving week episode for you. And uh, of course, we we hope that you are all being safe and uh, sticking to your immediate family and small gatherings for Thanksgiving. Yes, it sucks, but uh, you know it's better for all of us to do our part. Uh, but we got a lot coming up for you next week. And then uh, as we get closer and closer to what would have been the, the in-person winter meetings, and obviously this year virtual, but the Rule 5 draft and all of that. Uh, before we get out of here, Sam has this week's Prospect Fun Fact presented by Nationwide. Yeah, so this week's uh, Nationwide Prospect Fun Fact, I want to revisit something Chris Rodriguez said in our interview with him um, that really stood out to me and hopefully stood out to you at home as well. Uh, he was talking about how you know, 2018, he missed the entire season and, uh, and he came back for 2019. He had additional back problems and he made three starts, pitched nine and third innings, basically with a broken back and was sleeping on the floor and doing all these crazy things. And how crazy is that? Um, so I wanted to look back at it and just kind of be astonished with, uh, you know, what he was able to do with basically a broken back. So he threw nine and a third innings. He struck out 13 batters in nine and third innings, did not give up an earned run. Didn't give up a, a run at all. He gave up six hits and four walks. So he had a 1.07 whip, 0.00 ERA, basically on a broken back. That's insane. Um, you can probably sit at home and, and do the same thing I'm doing right now, which is questioning, should he have been throwing anyways? Maybe not. Uh, he got the surgery after that to fix it and, uh, everything's good now, but the fact that he was able to strike out 13 batters in nine and third innings, not give up an earned run in that span is really special and, and speaks to what is he's capable of. And hopefully we get to see that when he's fully healthy soon here in 2020. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. 